All right, guys, welcome back to part two of our psych series. Bobby, what are you drinking? I am drinking Locals Light by Shorts Brew. Fantastic. And Shorts Brew was nice enough to send out a couple brews, so we're checking those out. And I have the Longship Brewery, another uh, brewery in San Diego that was very nice and sent out a couple brews our way. So I'm having their wet hop session today. If you haven't seen our other uh, ethics episode, I recommend it because we have one of their fantastic brews on that one as well, as well as a special guest, Mr. Dr. Sean. The battle of wits has begun. It ends when you decide and we both drink. It'll bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. Why is the rum always gone? It's sort of an oaky afterbirth. for enjoying his whiskey. What was that? Now that's high yield. Cheers. <sighs> Buzzwords. All right, Bobby, I have a tough question to start us off today. All right. I don't know if you're going to get this. A lot of people uh, I've spoken to don't. So there is a patient that comes in, notably a very tough psych patient, schizophrenia, really hard to control. The inpatient psychiatrist goes, hey, I'm going to start them on a new intranasal medication, educate them on the adverse effects. This medication is for people that are really hard to control their schizophrenia. So you go to the patient and their family, largely their family, since the patient is kind of out of it. And you say, this is the medication we're starting, and we need to monitor the labs closely to assess for blank. What is the blank? An intranasal medication. There's also is an oral form. I assume there's probably an injectable form as well. I would be worried considering that this is a complicated patient that they might be taking our gold standard of psych medication and we need to monitor for a granulocytosis. Fantastic. So what med are they taking? They are taking clozapine. Fantastic. I was like, oh, he doesn't know the name and I'm going to get him. <laughs> I had to think about it, but I got it. <laughs> Yep, exactly. So clozapine is the one that we all got to know is the one that can lead to agranulocytosis. And so that's why patients need close monitoring for that. It can be given intranasally, which I've seen actually in practice. I didn't know that. Is. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. That seems like that would be ideal because a lot of people don't like taking oral medications. And so like, well, you almost force them to it, right? So this right. was actually, yeah. you were forcing it up their nose. Um, so just something to know. I think that's one of the classic antipsychotics that we should all know about. It's crazy because it's like one of the oldest drugs that we have. And obviously it has a very dangerous side effect profile, but it's the best one. It works the best out of, you know, the first and second generation antipsychotics. It's still like the king. Almost 50 years later, we we have a couple yeah. something that works better. Yeah. Kind of like you. Well, you know what they say. They don't make them like they used to. No, they do not. Are you a millennial, Bobby? I am not sure. I would say <laughs> yes, because I guess it's what millennials is like 1990 to 2000, in which case, yes. So I, I Googled who's or a no, millennial. We're, we're Gen. Are we Gen Y? And then there's Gen Z and then there's the Zoomers. No, we're millennials. Damn. The generations defined. This is a beautiful graph. And so gen z i mean who who knows 
the legitimacy of this, but it's from Pew Research Center. So that sounds sounds good to me. Good. Trust so me. born nineteen twenty eight to forty five, those people are known as silent. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know that? I did know that. Oh, interesting. Forty six to sixty four, the boomer. So my dad yes. is a boomer. Is your dad a boomer? My dad is technically from the silent generation. Or no? No way. He's he's a very old boomer because I think he was born in like forty six. Exactly. Forty six is the cutoff. Mm-hmm. So your dad's an old boomer. My dad was born in sixty three, so he's one of the younger boomers. Nice. Uh, Gen X, for extreme, is uh, age thirty nine to fifty four, and then millennials are eighty one to ninety six. So we mm. just we just got into the millennial category, and then Gen Z is 97 to 2012 damn that's crazy we're old and i feel (laughs) i gotta drink to that (sighs) okay so a patient comes in he seems kind of agitated and he keeps tapping his foot. He recently switched from fluoxetine to another SSRI, but he did wait two weeks. Why is he having these symptoms? And what is your treatment of choice? So I'm, I'm thinking about serotonin syndrome. You're giving me a, a two week delay or two week kind of cleansing period, but I don't think two weeks is enough. So I would still say serotonin syndrome. I would say he's agitated and has probably that movement because of that. The treatment for serotonin syndrome, my understanding is that it was supportive. There's a certain drug you can use that is a 5-HT3 receptor antagonist. Oh, that's the one that I thought I said earlier, but that was the benzo one. Okay. You've said this one before in a previous episode. That yeah, makes you feel the, worse. There's a boss. Mm-hmm. The boss is there. And uh, I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember from the top of my head. Tell me. It is ciproheptadine. Ciproheptadine. Prohibit. Fantastic. And... The point I was making with the two-week washout period there is traditionally when you're changing medications, a two-week washout period is sufficient, but fluoxetine has a longer half-life due to its active metabolites compared to the other SSRIs, which makes it easier to dose because it means that you know the serum levels are more stable, but it also means that you need a longer washout period, which is a negative, but it also does have the benefit of if somebody suddenly discontinues it, they're not going to have that typical SSRI withdrawal symptoms that they will with the other SSRI medications. Right. That's a great point. That's very... Pointy. Very good to know. Ciproheptadine, that's a good one to know too. It's not in practice. In practice, I haven't seen it a lot, but uh, I'm sure on the tests, it's quite, quite popular. Yeah. Well, I think it's one of those antidotes, like we were saying, that in practice probably isn't used very frequently but they want you to know like oh this person overdosed on this what is the like silver bullet treatment kind of thing for the purposes of the shelves and for step and stuff right all right well i'll drink to that cheers 
such an easy one. I got it wrong. Shame on me. Yeah. It's all right. I'll get you with this next one. So, I have a 64-year-old gentleman. He comes in. He has some mood changes. He's feeling down, down and out. Um, life is not good. Really no changes, but uh, he's just not feeling great. It's been something that's been happening for almost a couple of years now where he just feels horrible. He feels tired all the time. No energy. Um, you do this full review systems, physical exam, nothing really wrong. I mean, uh, he's definitely down. He definitely doesn't exercise. He's a little obese. Um, you ask him about his diet. It's a little bit down, but not anything crazy. Uh, you ask him about his love interest. He's doing okay. He's just kind of too tired to go on dates. Um, you ask him about his sleep. He snores. Uh, and that's the only thing that he can, like, he's been told he snores. Uh, but that's it. And so you're like, okay, like this might be a depression picture, might be something else. What is something that you should think about or uh, consider moving forward in this patient with low energy? Well, given that he snores, you would want to be worried about sleep apnea in a 64-year-old male. You could also be concerned about low testosterone. Anytime you're interviewing somebody with depression symptoms, the shelves like to give you the option to ask whether or not the patient has any thoughts of self-harm. So that is also something to consider. Yeah, that's fantastic. So uh, we can get down to the self-harm path, self-harm pathway real quick, but uh, Bobby's right. Self-harm is uh, something that is addressed multiple times on every exam and it's something that we need to understand. And we should understand the risk factors, uh, which are more prominent, which are more significant, such as prior attempts of suicide, uh, if someone has guns at their home, that's a huge, huge, huge red flag. Remember, women attempt suicide more, but men ultimately accomplish or finish uh, the act more frequently. So that's something that we should know as well. In this case, what I was getting at was sleep apnea. Uh, that's a fantastic little tidbit that you think might be psych-related. Uh, and it is, in theory, because the person is obviously suffering psychiatrically. Uh, but uh, the manifestation is not one of an underlying, I guess, pathology, but it's one of uh, a sleep disorder and of the obstructive sleep apnea. This gentleman is just not getting enough sleep and has caused him to lose a lot of energy and, and among other things. So in this case, you would treat the sleep apnea and hopefully these other things would improve. Definitely. One thing to add to that is, you know, based off of your vignette, a uh, thing to remember is elderly white men are the highest risk of suicide. So if the vignette gives you that, just keep it in the back of your head because that might be relevant. Definitely. Okay. So my last and hardest question for you. A patient comes into your emergency department and he took a bunch of his dad's fentanyl. What are you going to give him? You're going to give him Narcan. Very good. You did it. Oh, you got me, man. I was like, it can't be that. It can't be that hard. <laughs> <laughs> the trick question was the friends we made along the way. What is Narcan? What is the uh, generic? Uh, the generic for Narcan sounds like Narcan. Naloxone. It, yes, is Naloxone, which is the short-acting version, not to be confused with Naltrexone, which is the long-acting version. And is used for more chronic um, opiate treatment. 
What's the one thing naltrexone can be used for other than opiates? Alcohol. Fantastic. All right. Great, great point. Very high yield. So I have a Spitfire round for you, Bobby. So let's get into it. I have a patient with contact disorder and a patient with antisocial disorder. What's the difference? Their age. Yeah, that's right. Both people are, are kind of dicks, but one one is a kid and one is an adult. Uh, contact disorder is the kiddo that's that's disruptive in class, but is also this is how you differentiate from ADHD or um, among other things is like disruptive, can't concentrate, does poorly, but also is like actually fighting. Is the one that's out there spray painting uh, the school lawn, is uh, punching people in the face, is you know driving their car uh, into the cafeteria, like doing things that are actually illegal yeah and then once they turn 18 antisocial disorder is the diagnosis yeah the way that i help remember it is if they're engaging in behaviors that show a blatant disregard for your actions and the consequences on others or animals hmm. versus yeah. adhd which is just you know an attention issue and so they're not like right. inherently a bad actor whereas conduct disorder and antisocial personality disorder people will do things that you know harm others intentionally right well done so you got the first one my second question what is the most common avoidable cause of mental retardation iodine deficiency in the u.s in the u.s well I mean, the root of your question is like, what's the most common cause of hypothyroid in the U.S.? And that would be... It's not hypothyroid. Believe it or not. Believe it. Not, not our two fans will understand. Preventable mental retardation. No, no, no. I mean, you might be right. Continue. <laughs> I might be right? Are you fact-checking yourself? Yeah. First, you well, told me something. I'm just making sure it's right. I fact-checked us right now because I was concerned that maybe my question was a little misleading. So, you're right. Congenital hypothyroid is actually one of the most preventable causes of mental retardation. What I was getting at is that fetal alcohol spectrum disorder or fetal alcohol syndrome is the single most common preventable cause of intellectual and developmental disabilities. So... If I type in Google, most common cause of mental retardation, fetal alcohol deficiency, I get a page that tells me it's the most common. And if I say the same thing with thyroid, I also get the same uh, result with just thyroid in its place. So thanks, Obama. Um, I guess that makes sense. I, maybe, maybe I'm remembering it as like the most common medical cause versus like a psychosocial we need to think about a lot of things when you have a kiddo that has intellectual disability. Of course, we've talked about this in the past in our pediatrics lecture with Heather, but you have uh, kiddos with Down syndrome. Uh, you have kiddos with fragile X syndrome. Uh, you have autism, of course, and now you have fetal alcohol syndrome. We also think about cretinism, among other things. Those are all causes of intellectual disability. We talked about cerebral palsy in this, uh, in light of a physical uh, disability as well. And so, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of good answers here, but I think everyone should remember uh, what fetal alcohol syndrome is and also 
uh, kind of remember the manifestations. Do you remember anything like what the kiddos look like in regards to fetal alcohol syndrome? Thin upper lip. Mm-hmm. Absence of like a philtrum, which is the little divot, I guess, under your nose in the middle. Smooth like butter. Yeah. I believe, isn't there's they have like low set ears or small ears? Yeah, I don't remember about their ears. I remember their philtrum exactly, the thin upper lip, their flat kind of nasal bridge. Right. Uh, they might have some like small palpebral fissures. And then the small head circumference is like something that's right, uh, right. important is that their head is super small. Your head is pretty small. Nobody's told me that. But considering my parents' alcoholism, you might be onto something. I'll drink to that. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> All right. So. Bobby, you have a patient come in and they say, I'm suffering from depression. I also have trouble with eating and I look at food in an unhealthy way. Can you start me on an antidepressant? You go, sure, no problem. But I 100% am not going to show you, start you. I 100% am not going to start you on this antidepressant. Which one is it? If you are worried about somebody being anorexic or bulimic, you don't want to start them on bupropion. Fantastic. Why not? Because they are at risk for seizure if they have electrolyte abnormalities. Exactly. So no bupropion in those that are at risk for seizures, such as those with eating disorders. Eating disorders are interesting, and it's a very fascinating subject, and it's one that actually comes up quite a bit on the psychiatry shelf. But remember, you have to think about those with eating disorders in a lot of ways. Uh in regards to pathologies that can ultimately lead to uh, increased morbidity and mortality, such as abnormal uh, electrolytes. So remember, these patients uh, have low levels of essentially everything in their body, like potassium, phosphorus, very importantly. Uh, so in the acute phase, yes, uh, they're low on these things. But if you start feeding them, they'll get that refeeding syndrome, which can make things even worse when you shuttle uh, these electrolytes into the cells. Now they have nothing, and that can lead to very uh, fatal events such as arrhythmia. So something we need to remember electrolyte abnormalities in those with eating disorders. We can also think about tooth decay, abdominal pain, delayed gastric emptying. In females, amenorrhea is super important to think about. Dermatologically, we've talked about this before, but lanugo is something you need to think about. And they might even get so deficient in vitamins and necessary uh, substrates that they can even have you know hematologic issues such as leukopenias, among other things. So just a lot of things to think about. Osteoporosis, stress fractures. There's so many things to think about in regards to uh, eating disorders. And I'll make a little kind of outline and I'll put it on our website uh, for people to review. But there's a whole slew of pathologies that manifest from these. So it's it's important to understand them and, and what can happen. All right, Bobby, my last question for you. If uh, an attending uh, gets angry at a resident because of how he managed the care of a patient and the resident comes to you and you're the medical student and he belittles you for something that you did. He says, oh, like, I knew this when I was in med school. Like, you're just, you're a moron, blah, blah, blah. Which of the following defense mechanisms was exhibited by the resident? Displacement. student. Well done. How come it wasn't projection? Projection is similar to displacement. But typically with projection, they are seeing 
you kind of think of it as like transference and countertransference, where they are projecting a negative behavior that they perceive or a negative characteristic that they perceive in themselves and taking it out on another person. Whereas displacement, basically, shit rolls downhill. So if the attending is mean to them, then they, instead of being able to, you know, use one of the more mature defense mechanisms, will instead displace that, you know, anger or whatever onto somebody lower than them on the totem pole. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Displacement and projection are the two that I often get confused. So displacement is exactly what happened, where the resident takes whatever happened, transfers those feelings to a more, quote, acceptable object, which in this case is the medical student, versus projection, which is actually attributing one's own feelings to others. So I feel like the correct answer would have been projection had the resident uh, been angry and disappointed and then attributed those feelings to the medical student that makes sense like thinking that the medical student was angry and disappointed does that make sense yeah the the thing that i think about or like the example that i remember for projection is like if somebody cheats a lot on their significant other they are going to be worried about their significant other cheating because they're projecting right. their types of behaviors onto the other person yep fantastic that's well well said there are, of course, a lot of mechanisms that we should remember. Some are more obvious, like acting out in denial. But then you have displacement and projection, which we talked about. Reaction formation, which is kind of unique. Do you have a good example for reaction formation? Reaction formation, I feel like, is when you take a negative emotion and basically do the exact opposite. So, yeah. as an example... If you really disliked homeless people, you would go volunteer at a food kitchen or some other activity to help the homeless as a way to kind of, it's almost like you're making up for being bad, kind of. Or if you hated your wife, you'd go get her car detailed for her. Yeah, no, exactly. It's an interesting phenomenon where like you're like thinking, maybe I, I don't feel this. Maybe I, I want my kiddo to be healthy. And then you stuff their face with McDonald's. Like it's an interesting dichotomy. Mm -hmm. So that's reaction formation. We have regression, which makes sense. A lot of kiddos do this uh, when they get angry. And then splitting, which we can see a lot in borderline patients. So just some key things. It seems like kind of step one, things to know, but it actually shows up quite a bit on step two as well. Yes. Do you remember what the four mature defense mechanisms are? There's four mature ones. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Um, There's a so mnemonic to help remember it. It's cold out. Don't forget your sash. Sash, right. So uh, suppression. So suppression is one, mm -hmm. which makes sense. We have sublimation, which Correct. is another. So those would be the two S's in a sash. Is avoidance one of them? No, I don't think avoidance is a defense mechanism. Avoidance, imagine that being like a mature <laughs> defense mechanism, just avoid the issue. Okay, so we said suppression, we said sublimation, and, mm -hmm. and remind me, what does sublimation mean? Sublimation means that you internalize a certain behavior and then express it in a positive fashion. So say you were a violent individual 
or an angry person, you could sub- sublimate that by doing, you know, Mai Tai or some sort of mixed martial art where you're using those feelings mm. that you have in a positive outlet. So we have suppression, we have sublimation, uh, we have humor, sash, S-A-S-H, so we have the S, S, and H, and then we have uh, A is altruism, which right. makes sense. right. Fantastic. Very cool. Well, that's it for today, folks. Bo, how was your beer? My beer was good. Would I drink it again? Yes. Would it be my first beer from Longship Brewery that I'd have? Probably not. I think the one that I had last week uh, was a little better. Overall, I would probably give this a... 6.5 out of 10. It had a nice citrusy taste, but it was a little bit too bitter for my liking. Mm -hmm. Solid. Yeah, I had the Locals Light from Shorts Brew. I thought it was a pretty solid lager. It doesn't taste like 5%. It tastes like a beer that would have maybe 2 or 3%. It's very refreshing. I would give it an 8 out of 10. Would definitely recommend for like a summer drink. I mean, it's the middle of winter here in Ohio, but it's still pretty good. Great. So for Untapped's review of my brew, they actually gave it a 4 out of 5, which is an 8 out of 10. So this is actually quite a good brew in a lot of people's minds. So that's fantastic to know. So that was the Wet Hop Session Pale Ale uh, by Longship Brewery. And then for yours, you had the Local Lights, correct? Locals Light, yeah. Locals Light. And that was actually a 73 out of 100 so 7 out of 10 fantastic and you rated it an 8 out of 10 mm-hmm. fantastic and i think people agree with you they say crisp clean and refreshing so that's awesome cool fantastic all right guys well that is it for today's episode psych part two if you have any questions shoot us a message we have a website we have an instagram we have a lot of great content coming out including multiple practice exams videos among other things anything else bobby See us on the gram. See us on the gram. (laughs) All right, guys. Cheers. Later.